I've entitled this message, Coming Out of Dark Places, and um, what I'm going to do is just talk to you one last time about this theme of being stuck. It was interesting, you know, Pastor Bob said, I want to do a, a series of just a, the message for the weekend, it's going to be unstuck. You got anything on unstuck? So I said, yeah, I got something on unstuck. So it's not exactly the same thing that Carlos had, per se, or the videos, but I think it's still going to correlate to the concept of stuckness. So I'll just begin by saying this and try to catch some of you um, as we begin. There are a lot of us that are stuck in this room. And that was evident last night as we closed the service with ministry time and the lines were almost as long as the aisles. And that says a lot. Um, it says a lot about, and I said this to many men with which I prayed, it said a lot about your strength of nerve that you had inside your fortitude to stand up from wherever you were and be able to put any, again, I often say, your fear of man issue behind you, your insecurity, and stand there and say, I just want to confess that I need God, that I'm totally dependent on God to get unstuck from that with which I'm in. There are all kinds of stuckness in our lives, and some of us are stuck in certain types of darkness, and the darkness in which we're stuck is, listen, it's inevitable. What I mean by that is some of us are stuck in some darkness, and listen, it's not sin. Some of us are certain types of darkness in which we're stuck. It's a situation. It's a circumstance. It's an experience. It's, a, it's, just, it's just the pain that comes from life. My kids play sports, all three of them, and, um, you know, they're often in pain from the sports which they play. My Sydney, this, this summer, she was going for a kick, um, and uh, when she was actually in this position, a girl pushed her, and she broke the ligament. It snapped on one side of her leg, and the other side, it ripped to the point that it was as thin as just a rubber band hanging on a string. And um, she was that way for most of the rest of the summer. And um, it was so swollen that the MRI couldn't even get through to take the picture. So they had to put her into this, um, this boot. And then they had to wait for it to, the swelling go down so that they could take the MRI. And she said, well, at least I'm not in a cast. Three weeks later, they put her into a cast. And then she had to be on one of those knee scooters. You ever see old people on a knee scooter? She's 12 years old. And she had to... You know, and all the insecurities that come with 12-year-olds on knee scooters. So, um, you know, I just remember when I was a kid and the injuries that I incurred, I remember I had coaches. And the coaches almost always said one of four things. And tell me if this doesn't sound familiar to every man in this room. Number one, rub it up. Number two, ice it up. Number three, walk it out. And number four, shake it off. Right? They all said the same thing. And that's just what we did as men. But sometimes there's a pain that breaks your spirit. It knocks the wind right out of your soul. And when I'm talking about Sydney, you know, my youngest, again, she was playing in the rain. She shouldn't have been. The township should have called it off. It was pouring rain. But there's something cool about playing soccer in the rain and getting covered in mud. And there she was. And here's what happened. When that happened to her, listen for the metaphor, it wasn't her fault. But the fact remains, she had to go into that cast, she had to go into that boot. Sometimes we're in darkness. You know, what came after that was just a series of copays, rehabs, and visits to the doctor. I'm in debt because I bought a house during the 
2009 at the worst possible time he could possibly buy a house. Now I live in a house that isn't even as much as it costs. I'm underwater by, you know, tens of thousands of dollars because the housing market is all upside down. And um, that wasn't my fault either, but I just didn't know. Um, you, you, you just, I just made a bad choice. Your family may be dysfunctional, and you did the best that you could to raise your kids in the way that you could, but yet they didn't follow your direction, and that's just the way it went. You're out of a job, and it's not your fault. Your spouse is loveless, and you wrote all the cards, and you wrote all the, and you and brought home all the flowers that you could. It's just the way that it went. Sometimes there's a darkness you can't avoid. There's nothing you can do to stop it. It's like you've got the trials of Job upon you. I mean, it just happened. Or Hosea, it just happened. When you look at those stories, God lifted his hand and he allowed those things to come into the life of Job, to come into the life of Hosea. But sometimes, guys, it is sin. Sometimes you took you to that dark place. You're in debt because you gambled it away. And where we live in Ocean City, we're surrounded by people that struggle with a lot of those things. Your family's dysfunctional because you chose other priorities and then convinced yourself it was okay. You're out of a job because you did something you shouldn't have done, and now you did it, and you can't undo it. Your spouse is loveless because you were a jerk, and that's the truth. And the shame that's attached to that dark place, listen, it just drives you deeper back into the tunnel. And now the light at that end of that tunnel is just harder to see than it ever was before. Again, some of you, you are either in that dark place, you are either going through that dark place, or you are coming out of that dark place. But it's inevitable that all of us will be stuck at one time or another in a dark place in our lives. Here's the lesson to learn. The dark place, your stuckness, does not have to be your enemy. You can learn in the stuckness. You can learn in the darkness. But the secret is this. Don't let darkness become your friend. Don't feel at home in that place. Don't get comfortable there. Don't get lazy there. Don't pursue pleasure that distracts you when you're in the midst of the darkness. Did you just hear that? Say yes. Don't pursue pleasure when you're in the midst of that darkness or you find yourself staying there much longer than you ever dreamed of. Don't stay in the darkness, but if you got a pen, write it down. Learn in the darkness. Because what you learn in the darkness is what takes you, what you learn in the darkness, listen, in the valley of darkness, that's what takes you to the top of the mountain. What you learn in the valley of the darkness is what takes you to the top of the mountain. Psalm 18, the psalmist says, the Lord, my God, will enlighten my darkness. Some of you who were here last year, you know our teaching pastor at Coastal, Matthew Mayer, spent almost five years in prison for drunk driving homicide. And I can tell you from hearing his testimony many times that it was in that dark place that God took him to heights to which he never was before. And some of you, I'm blessed by your encouragement to me, and I say this sometimes even at home. People say, we really appreciate you. You're so passionate. We really appreciate your passion. You're so passionate. Thank you for your passion. Can I tell you something? Thank you very much for appreciating my passion, but at the same time, you're talking to a guy who also has been, you know, spread eagle over the front of an Abington police car 
you know, um, with the cops, uh, you know, I was hiding out in the car, in the wheel well. How embarrassing. Because in the movies, they don't find you, you know. They run by. They found me. The light shines right down on me. I got to get out. They put me, oh, by the way, let me just tell you this. Abington Police Department, if they tell you to spread them and you don't spread it far enough, they will help you out with that. <laughs> Next thing you know, my chest is on the front of the hood along with the side of my face, and I'm hearing my parents' names over the, the speaker within, within the, the car, the squad car. You know, Francis and Marie Stokes, son is Matthew Stokes, 661 Moorfield Road, Philadelphia. And just like, I'm saying like, that was a dark place for me. It was like one of the lowest moments of my life. But look, here's the good news. That was two weeks ago. Let's talk about today. <laughs> it's under the blood. Now I'm here. Where are you? Let's, you know, where are you? God will always provide light in the midst of the darkness to get you out of that place when he is ready to take you. Do you have people in your life that actually want you to fail? Do you have people in your life that are actually looking for you to fail? Do you have people in your life that are actually encouraging you to fail? I do. I still do. And listen, I'm not just talking about Satan and demons. I'm talking about real people. I don't want to get into this too long, but it's been nine years and I've never really told the story. So maybe I would just share it right now since I'm just with a bunch of guys and I know that, uh, you know, hopefully this isn't going to go outside this room. But, um, you know, um, how do I say this? One of the lowest moments in my life with my wife is when we lost our affiliation with Calvary Chapel. And uh, we weren't prepared for that. We weren't ready for that. And let me just say this. We hold Calvary Chapel in extremely high regard. We always have and we still do. And our doors are always open to people from Calvary. And we're, I'm so thankful to Bob, who's one of my mentors, which I'll talk about while we get to the end of this. Um, but when it happened, there was a, we experienced a church split. And what happened was, most of you know, what's the symbol of Cal Calvary Chapel? Dove. Right. Okay, our symbol is a fish, right? So what happened was, is we lost, we lost 300 people. We were growing 100 people a year. So by six years, we had 600 people. And then, in just a series of just a real short time, 100 people left. And then another 100. And then another 100. Until the church was down to 300 people. So what happened at that time is before they were leaving, we were going through a huge amount of tension in the room. So how do you think, just imagine Pastor Bob, there's about 300 guys here, maybe, maybe a little, you know. So just imagine what it's like getting up on Sunday morning and saying, good morning, everyone. Please open your Bibles to Luke chapter 7 and knowing that half of you don't want me to be standing here. Half of you. And that it would be a matter of months before you all go. So what happened was is that there, this war broke out between the dove people and the fish people. <laughs> and, and, and they were, it was like something, it was like a Japanese movie gone wrong. You know what I mean? And it come out of the ocean. 
And uh, so, and, 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 and the Dove people were really committed to winning because, listen, they left. So if the church succeeds, what does that say about them? Right. So if we end up making more disciples and reaching lost people, what does that say about us? So they were highly motivated to see that we would fail. I'm not talking about Calvary corporate. I'm just talking about the people that were in our immediate fellowship at the time. And then you have us, the, the fish people, who were just like, I don't know, I'm just happy to be here. Calvary what? Like they didn't even know where we came from. They were just, you know, they had no bias or previous understanding of all that. And I'm saying in the midst of all of that, it was some of the lowest moments of our lives. And we went through it for a long time, you know, my wife and I. And um, uh, I want to tell you now that, you know, the scriptures say in Psalm 30 that weeping may endure for the night, but joy comes in the morning. And we realize now on the other side of that, the tremendous freedom that we now have, and we're thankful that God has brought us to a place where, where we are. But there will be seasons of darkness that you're going to go through. That's why Jesus said, you know, Jesus, okay, the Savior, right? He said what? He said, walk in the light, while you have the light, least darkness come upon you. For he that walks in darkness does not know where he's going. John chapter 12. Instead, what? Follow me. I'm the light of the world. The one that follows me will not walk in darkness. In a word, be stuck. But have the light of life. He is the light that lighteth every man that comes into the world. So I want to challenge you today when it comes to this theme of being unstuck. You know, my son's with us, Jesse, and um, he has this poster in his room. He's got a soccer poster, and he's got a uh, uh, Derek Jeter poster. Am I allowed to say that? <laughs> All right, so anyway, but he's got this other poster in there, and it's probably familiar to most of you in this room. It's a poster that says this. It's a basketball poster, but over it, superimposed on it, it says what? It says, watch your thoughts. They become words. Watch your words, they become actions. Watch your actions, they become habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. Watch your character, they become your destiny. And the reason I say that is this. Please listen to what I'm about to say. This may be one of the most important things I'm saying today. Unless you can change your thoughts, your actions are going to continually leave you stuck. Unless you can change your thoughts and your actions, you're going to continually be stuck with the results that you have, not the results that you want, and not the results that God wants for your life. So I want to challenge you and give you today what I'm going to call steps to walking out of your darkness. Steps to unstuck. Very quickly, first step is this. And this first step is essential. It's this. Trust God. Trusting God. You've got to trust God in the midst of the darkness. And I'm not saying that in some kind of flowery, fluffy way. I mean, you really got to trust God. You've really got to... I'm saying, if you really want to get out of that stuck place, it isn't about finding some kind of life hack. It isn't about watching some kind of self-improvement, leadership development messages. It's about trusting in, leaning on, believing in, loving through Jesus Christ. It's about trusting God in the midst of the darkness. What does it say, Psalm 23? Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Here's why. Because you are with me. 
Job, who probably we would all agree went through the worst trials a man could experience on this side of heaven. And he says, though he slay me, yet I will trust him. And again, Psalm 18, for the Lord will light my candle. The Lord my God will enlighten my darkness. Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I'm talking to you today about coming out of the darkness and getting unstuck. Trusting that God's got a plan for you. Trusting that God's got a purpose for you. Trusting that God has promises for you that are greater than your guilt. They're greater than your shame. They're greater than your self-condemnation or whatever else is keeping you stuck. Whatever else is keeping you in your dark place. Okay, so then what do I do? Here's what, here's what you do. Listen, if you got your pen, write this down. You want to change? You want to change? Here's when change happens. Change happens when the pain of, of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of making the change. I'm going to say it again. Change happens, change happens when the pain of staying the same becomes greater than the pain of making the change. Here I stand before you, let's say I'm an alcoholic, and, and I have a couple beers, and my wife doesn't seem to mind, but what she really doesn't know is, when she's not looking, I actually take some harder liquor, and I pour it into my beer, so she thinks I'm having a beer, but the truth is, is I'm getting pretty buzzed. And if you think there aren't a group of guys in this room that are struggling with that, you're kidding yourself. Next thing you know, it's affecting your cognitive function, your speech is becoming slurred, and your wife's wondering what's going on, so what do you do next? Anyone tell me? You lie, and then you isolate. Okay, This is what stuck does. So, so, that, so that I don't get noticed, the best thing for me to do is just try and get off the radar. So the next thing you know, I'm in the shed, you're in the basement, you're in the office, and you're there, you're in the shed for years. You're stuck there until you want to go through the change, until you say, I have a value, I have a value. I am a man and I have a value. And my value is a healthy family. And my value is a healthy relationship spiritually with my Savior. And I'm saying, that's the only thing that's going to actually transcend and help you escape from that alcohol. Until you see the value of your relationship with Christ and his calling for you to be a father and a calling for you to be a husband, you're going to be stuck in that place. As long as you're valuing pornography and masturbation at 2 a.m. in the morning, you'll be stuck there. I'll see you next year. You'll be here. You'll still be listening to messages. You'll still be singing the songs and you'll still be stuck. You can be 20 years in the Lord and you can be stuck in one place because you've allowed Christ's redemption to take place only in parts of your life, but there's certain other parts that you're not allowing Him to touch. There's a woman at work and you're emotionally engaging her because you have a loveless marriage at home and this just seems like an outlet. It seems like fun. It seems like a pleasant diversion. And the next thing you know, you turn around. I have guys that sit in my office and I know Bob does too and they say, where did I go wrong? Where did I go wrong? You've got to trust God in the midst of the darkness. You've got to trust God for the outcome. Number two, very quickly, step number two is this. Acknowledge the challenge. Don't kid yourself. Acknowledge the fact that this is going to be a challenge. 
Trust God for the outcome. Lean on God. Lean on the power of his love. And then you've got to acknowledge the challenge, the difficulty. Do you know how hard it is for that guy to let go of that drink? You ever see a guy with the shakes? I mean, really? Guy in the midst of detox? 17 days, 18 days. He's got that false sense of reality that maybe he can get it on his own. Next thing you know, he's back into it again. It's hard. You've got to acknowledge the fact that this is going to be warfare. This is going to be a battle. Getting unstuck isn't coming from a book. You won't be, listen, you won't get unstuck from this message. You get unstuck because you go deeper, higher, and further with Jesus Christ than you did ever before. And that's not going to happen because you heard a message. That's going to happen because the Holy Spirit pressed it into your heart to go deeper in your discipleship. But you've got to acknowledge the challenge. Did, did you ever hold your breath going through the Lehigh Tunnel? Anybody do this? Okay. Sometimes that's a challenge depending on the traffic, right? Okay, so like, you know, you're going through and you can't see the end. And just when your face is going from pink to purple, you turn that corner and you see the end of the tunnel. And all of a sudden, a little bit of hope rises up in you like, I think I can make this. Now, you got about 15 guys in the car with you. Most of the time, I was a passenger on a sports team. That's when I'm going through the Lehigh Tunnel. And there's about five guys that are doing this with you, right? And you're all just like, and then you're like, you're like pinch your nose. No cheating, right? So you're all going through. And then here, you make it out of the tunnel. And I don't know about you, and I don't know what a psychoanalyst would say about me regarding this, but... I was never content to win that. I had to be the last guy. Even when we got out of the tunnel, I'm like, I'm still going. <laughs> Anybody else still going? Because I'm still going. <laughs> right? Like, I'm saying, I'm saying, I don't know what that was all about, but the point is this. It, it, some people accept challenges. Some people actually look for challenges. It's that kid who's trying to slap the top of the doorway on his way through. You know what I'm saying? Slap the stop signs. Like, you're always trying to find a challenge, accept the challenge. And I'm saying, that's what you need to do. That might be a silly metaphor, but here's what I want you to write down. You've got to cultivate a character that accepts challenges. If you want to get unstuck, you've got to cultivate a character that accepts challenges to come out of the darkness, to get unstuck. I assure you, in the midst of this, your guide will be reliable. That's God. Your road will be rough. Your companions will be few. But you've got to acknowledge the difficulty and accept the challenge. Number three, craft the vision. You've got to craft the vision. What's it say, Proverbs 29, 18? Without vision, the people what? Without vision, the people perish. You've got to have a vision. That's as true for a nation as it is true for nationally, as it is for a society, as it's true for a family, as it's true individually. You've got to have a vision. What is a vision? If you don't know what a vision is, I'll tell you quickly. I know Bob's big on vision, so you probably have heard this before. A vision is a mental picture that moves you from what is to what should be. It's a mental picture that moves you from what is to what should be. Every one of you has a mental picture. You've got to cultivate one. You've got to grow one. You've got to craft it. 
What's the picture of where you want to be? And then what's the gap between where you are and where you want to be? And then the next question you're asking is, is how do I close the gap? But it all begins, you can't close the gap unless you understand the vision. You've got to craft the vision. You've got to have a vision. I learned this from a baseball coach when I was a kid. Most of us in here have heard this before too. And it goes like this. You've got to conceive it before you what? Achieve it. You've got to conceive it before you achieve it. And I'm not going to get all Eastern on you. and But I'm just going to say, like, there is something to mentally getting into state and picturing yourself at bat before you actually get to bat, picturing yourself on the mound before you're going to pitch the ball. There's something to that. And you've got to craft the vision about the man of God that he's calling you to be, the husband he wants you to be, the father that he wants you to be, the Christian man, the Christian soldier, the Christian leader, the man of influence. Craft the vision. Because unless you're in the land of Oz, you can't just click your heels and get back to Kansas with Toto. You've got to actually work at this. You've got to actually think it through. You've got to craft the vision, and then you've got to fight to follow that vision for your future. What? You've got to fight to follow that vision. This is a battle. It's a battle to get from where you are to where you want to be. Some of you will, and some of you won't. And I could say this with as much passion as I have in my heart, and some of you will, and some of you won't. Not because of the power of my message, but because of Christ in you and how much you're really longing to go deeper and higher and further than you ever did before. Great preaching can inspire people, but great preaching can't make a disciple. Only you make that choice yourself, right here and right now. You've got to craft the vision. The vision. The vision of, le of living clean and sober. The vision of letting go of lust and letting go of pornography. The vision of getting over your divorce or that woman who cheated on you or hurt you. Or maybe you cheated on her and you're still experiencing the guilt and shame of that. And it was wrong, but the cross is saying you've got to move on now. Move on from the person that you lost. Someone you love has died. You've got to move on. You've got to craft the vision for healthier relationships. Craft the vision to go deeper as a disciple. Craft the vision for what it looks like for you to really be serving God and living a transformed life. That's why you're here. Hey, isn't that why you're here? I mean, some of you might be here for some other reason, but most of us are here because we want to experience some sort of transformation. You may have heard this before. I shared it at, at Coastal in the past, but... If you go to the zoo, the Cape May Zoo, the Philadelphia Zoo is huge. You'll see Impala. You know, when you think Impala, usually you think of an old car. But the truth is, an Impala is a remarkable animal. An Impala can jump 25 feet in one span. Okay, that's, that's further than this stage. So in other words, when its feet leave the ground before this carpet over here, it actually will land uh, on this carpet over here. It could span in one jump the entire length of the stage. Is that like remarkable? 25 feet. Here, here's what's even more remarkable. Do you know how high the pen is that keeps the impala enclosed, keeps them captured? It isn't any higher than my hip. Right? right. Here's why. Because the impala will never jump, even though it's a record jumper. It's the record jumper of the world. 
It will never jump if it can't see where it's going. So all they need to do is build the wall just a little bit higher than its eyesight, and it will never leave the pen. Listen, stuck there for the rest of its life. Stuck there. Most of you have heard the analogy, and it's not, a, it's not a, um, an old wives' tale. It's true about an elephant that when you tie it with a small string or a little rope when it's young, as it, when, it, when it weighs tons, it'll still be stuck on that little rope. It'll be stuck. It'll be stuck on that little rope because an elephant's memory is so strong that it won't even try because it tried so much when it was little, it's totally convinced that it's stuck there and they can just put a peg in the ground and a rope that's as thin as something you put on a swing set and it'll hold a multi-ton elephant. And the illustrations could go on, but I'm just trying to give you more understanding of what it looks like to be stuck because when you think about this impala, behind the wall, guys, Some of you here, you've been behind the wall for years. Some of you here, you've been behind the wall of jealousy. You've been behind the wall of unforgiveness. You're behind the wall of conflict and confusion. You're behind the wall of pettiness. You're behind the wall of pity. You're behind the wall of self-blame, blame-shifting, substance abuse, isolation, the wall of my own victimization, the wall of procrastination when it comes to making the right decision. And the list goes on. You're behind the wall. And it takes a man to admit that he's behind the wall. That's why I was so inspired to see so many men last night standing here willing to confess, I'm stuck. So the challenge is, and we love praying for you, it's my honor to pray for you. For every person that was in line with me, I actually thanked you for coming to pray with me. It's an honor to pray for you, but I'm asking you, as, long, as well as the rest of you in this room, how long are you going to be stuck? Before you step out of the darkness and into the light. Get into the light of his word and start reading it. Get into the light of his conviction and start confessing it. Get into the light of his truth and start living it. Get into the light of his promises and start claiming it. Get into the light of his plan and his purpose and start embracing it. And woe unto me if I don't practice while I'm preaching it. And woe unto you if you leave this moment without making the choice to change. Fourth step, write out each decision to reach the vision. Write out, script out each decision to reach the vision. Here's the question also I want you to write down. What standards are going to help you achieve the vision? What standards? Every man in this room has a certain measure of standard. You have standards. Guys, you have values. What standards, what values are going to help you achieve that specific vision? And listen, this part's so important. You've got to be specific. You can't just say, I'm going to be closer to God. I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to stop doing stupid stuff. You have to say, you have to be specific. You have to say something like this. Listen, I'm going to surround myself with these believers because they're a reflection of who I want to be. Do you see the difference? I'm going to surround myself with these believers because they model the life that honors God. I'm going to worship at this specific time because that's the best time of day for me. 
and God deserves the best time of my day. You see what I'm doing here? I'm putting, the, I'm putting a why into my reason. I'm getting specific with it. I'm going to apply this principle to my life because that principle will change my life in the most impacting way, whatever that principle is. I'm saying if you do that, you will have lasting transformation in your life. Every man in this room, the one thing we mostly struggle with is lasting transformation. Most of us are transformed in this room for three days. And then we go home. If you want lasting transformation, we've got to put these things into practice. I'm going to apply this principle to my life. Your decision has to be motivating enough to get you out of bed in the morning. And get on your knees and worship. And read the Word of God. And seek Him in prayer. I'm going to be a connect group leader because connect groups, when I read the book of Acts, that's where it all began. And that may be, when persecution comes again, where it all ends up. So I want to connect with people. I'm going to do this to be an example to my children because if I haven't tried to pass my salvation and my redemption and the message of the gospel to my children, then what have I left them at all? If I can't be the priest of my own home, how can I possibly lead others? And listen, some of us have tried and some of us have not been successful, but that's not the point. The point is, is did you try? Are you attempting? Are you trying to conceive it and then achieve it? Are you crafting a vision for it? I'm going to be an example of transformation to show people what it looks like when someone steps out of the darkness and into the light. I'm going to lead the next generation towards Christ and away from spiritual mediocrity. That's number four. Write out the decision to reach the vision and you've got to be specific. The final step, number five, is this. Do the work. You've got to do the work. Nobody, and I mean nobody, drifts into effective ministry, drifts into success, drifts into deep discipleship, drifts into more intimate and more frequent dealings with God, it, you have to be intentional. You have to persevere. You have to have endurance. You have to have strength. You have to do the work. So I'm going to leave you with some things to do to do the work. Number one, very quickly, to do the work, number one, read related scriptures. Read related scriptures that directly relate to your, to your goal. If your goal is lust and pornography, to be rid of that, do you know Job 31? Job said, I have made a commitment with my eyes not to look upon a maiden. Isn't that a remarkable verse? I know a man who actually printed that out and then he taped it to the top of his monitor on his computer screen for his own accountability because he wanted to rid himself of lust and pornography. So he took Job 31 and he made a tape of it and he put it across his monitor because he wanted to make that commitment. He wanted to make a decision. He crafted the vision. He took the step he knew he needed to take and he was very specific in taking it. Number two, you've got to partner with like-minded people who are headed in the same direction as you are. Partner with like-minded people who are headed in the same direction so you know that you're not alone in your desire to be unstuck. You know you're not alone in your desire to get out of the darkness and you want to get into the light. 
You aren't meant to do this on your own. That's why we're called the brethren. We're meant to be in this together. We work together. Number three, read books, listen to audio, and watch videos. I spend very little downtime. My son will say the same thing. My son, Jesse, spends very little downtime. When I wake up, he's already up listening to worship music. He has one of those little portable speakers in the bathroom so that he can listen to Francis Chan while he's taking a shower. That's what my wife and I wake up to. Chan man, that's exactly right. Um, I wake up to hearing him in prayer in the shower. And here's the other day, we, my, my wife and I, this, uh, we woke up and my wife calls me over. She's like, Matt. I'm like, what? She's like, oh, we come over to the bathroom, which is weird to walk into the, to the door of your son's bathroom. And we're <laughs> listening to him in there. And here's what we hear. I, have, I never told you this, but. He's <laughs> crawled under his chair. <laughs> now it's good stuff. This is what we hear. I memorized it. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And he kept on saying it for about seven minutes straight. That's the way my son woke up that morning. What do you, how do you think I feel as a father? What do you think that does for me? It's a, it's a yeah. Well... <laughs> It's inspiring, but it's also convicting, right? So I, I listen to very little radio. I am constantly listening to audio. I'm constantly watching videos of other teachers, preachers, pastors. Um, Robbie's one of my favorites. I'm constantly watching, and Bob. <laughs> favorite. One of my favorites is Bob Gaglione. <laughs> Jesse listens to Bob, too. Um, you got to watch the videos. And here's what you do. you got to be very specific. Watch videos of people that are coming out of darkness and into light. Watch videos of people who are breaking free from bondage and watching how they're doing that. Christocentric, Christ-centered videos of people coming out of darkness and into light. Now and then, I watch Tomb Raider. Is that such a big deal? All right. Heartland, some show about a girl and her pony. I snuggle up with my daughters and we watch this show. I mean, there's places for that. I'm saying, by and large, we got to, if you want to take the step, you've got to read more books. That's why Bob, if you notice, Bob's a reader. As goes the pastor, so goes the church. Bob reads a lot. And so that's why you've got a bookshelf here. You've got a bookstore in your church. You've got to read books. You've got to continually be developing, listening to audio. You've got to be watching videos. And I'll give you just a couple more real quick, and we're going to close. Find a mentor. I know you talked about that this weekend, so I'm just going to touch on it real briefly. You've got to find a coach, and then you've got to set up time so that you can assess your progress. Find a mentor. If I don't have this down on your paper, would you write this down? Progress is always intentional and deliberate. Progress is always intentional and deliberate. No one accidentally makes progress. If you do, that's very, very rare. And if I had time to talk to you about being a mentor, I would say this. Let me just tell you, because I know the mentor thing is kind of, well, how, if I had a, how do I find a mentor? Okay, so it's, it's not that easy. Like, you don't just walk up to someone and be like, will you be my mentor? You know what I mean? It's like so weird, right? It's like, so, but the truth is, is like, like, Bob's my mentor, okay? 
But I never asked Bob to be my mentor. What happens is, is I call him and I give him some quick questions and I respect his time and then I'll call him again when I have some more questions. And then Bob, in time, he calls me back too. He just called me last week and he said, I got a text from you. And when I read the text, it made me think that you were struggling with something. Are you okay? And like, so now he's caring for me as I am leaning on him. And when I was going through that tough time nine years ago, you know, Bob was by my side and helped me develop through that. So if you want to find a mentor, <clears throat> here's what I suggest you do. Find someone that you really see has already gotten to the place where you want to be, who's already spiritually successful, effective, they're already moving forward in their development, in their discipleship, and say, and say if they said to me, if they said, can I just meet with you for lunch? I want to meet just 45 minutes, and I just want to ask you three questions. You know what? I would do that. If it, took, if it took an hour and a half, realistically, I can't take that journey with you that long. But if it was 45 minutes, I would do it. And hey, a free hamburger, right? I'm going to do this. But, and if you want to meet again, we meet again. Like, and then the mentoring, it just naturally kind of happens. You don't actually set up the mentoring relationship. It just kind of happens. Um, because if you set it up, like, will you be my mentor? Like, if the person ends up, like, not, not working out, then you've got to unwind it, and that just is really awkward and weird, right? Like, yeah, um, no. <laughs> it just isn't working out. <laughs> so, like, just, just, just slowly let that develop. But I do suggest, uh, we said earlier uh, today, everyone needs, bless you, man. Everybody needs a Barnabas. Did you hear that? A Timothy and a Paul. Everybody needs somebody like a Timothy you're developing. Everybody needs a Paul that you're looking to. And everyone needs a Barnabas that's kind of by your side as your co-laborer. Every one of you, if I asked you to pray right now and just ask God to bring to the surface of your conscience, who is your Paul, who is your Timothy, and who is your Barnabas? Every man in this room should find one. Every, every man in this room should have one. So I'm going to close. And I'll say this. You may be in this room, you just heard this message, the last message of the retreat, and you're saying, I just want to ask you a question. What if I'm not inspired, and what if I've been here for the weekend, and I'm not really feeling motivated, I'm not feeling convicted, I'm not seeing the value, um, I don't really want to accept the challenge, um, I can't really come out of my place because it's dark. Okay, first of all, if that's you, you have to admit that that is a lie from the pit of hell. And then second, you just got to get started. Get started. Would everyone say it with me? Get started. Get started even if you don't feel like it. That's the mark of a disciple. A disciple prays when he doesn't feel like praying. He worships when he doesn't feel like worshiping. He reaches out and shares the gospel when the last thing he feels like doing is talking about the gospel, sharing Christ, coming over, overcoming his own obstacles to try to reach someone else. That's what happens even if you don't feel like it. There's a lot of decisions in my life that I had to make where I had no inspiration, no motivation, no conviction. I didn't feel like it at all, but I did it because it was the right thing to do. So here's what I want you to write down, one of the last things I have for you. Motivation, okay, guys, motivation is BS. You know what, you know what BS stands for? Bologna sandwiches. Okay. Motivation is BS. Motivation is not the prerequisite for making the right decision. 
oh, well, in order for me to make the right decision, I have to feel motivated. Can you motivate me? Because that's why I came and paid and had three all-you-can-eat all meals yesterday so that you could motivate me. No, you don't need to be motivated to make the right decision. You know what the right decision is. The Spirit lives within you. Make the right decision. Not based upon your emotion, but based upon the fact that you know it's the right thing to do. And what began as a right decision grows into a passion. What began as a right decision will grow into a passion to want to know him, the power of his resurrection, and even the fellowship of his sufferings. So you can wait till you feel like it. Some of you will. And I'll say it again. If you do, I'll probably see you here next year at my workshop or whatever Bob lets me do if I'm back. <laughs> or here's your other option. You can do what you know is right. That's why you're here. If you didn't know that, you wouldn't be here right now. You know, you know, you know, you just need to do the work. And so do I. So let me finish where I started. David said, the Lord, my God, will enlighten my darkness. You're with me even in the valley of shadows. One last thought to close with. When it comes to the darkness and being stuck, Think about Paul the Apostle. He said there were times I felt pressed beyond measure. There were times I despaired of life itself. You know what that means? That's like King James for suicide. Okay. Now, did God specifically take Paul to those places? Did God specifically take, listen, did God specifically take David to the valley of the shadow of death? That doesn't sound a lot like God, does it? Or does it? God wouldn't do that. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, I believe it is, it says that Paul says that he was given a messenger from Satan. What? What did you just say? I said that 2 Corinthians, Paul says that he was given a messenger from Satan to torment him. Now you can say, well, well God allowed it. But I can't get around the fact that it says it was given. God gave it. Paul says the reason God gave me that pain was because he also gave me a remarkable gift. And with that remarkable gift also came this pain. He said the reason that he got it was if he didn't, he was concerned that he may have promoted himself past the position that God would have placed him. If you're familiar with the King James, it says, least I be exalted above measure. Now, I don't know about you, but when I was in my early 30s and I had a church of 300 people, I don't know, but maybe I too could have been so lost in myself, I would have lost sight of God. And so he did what he knew was best. And he did some pruning in my life and in my ministry. I don't know. I'm just saying that my point is that there's a place in your life that you've got to be determined. is a dark place, and it's not always sin. Sometimes God just wants to develop you there in that stuck place. But God sees it as a developmental place, and he gives you the strength to come out of it, or he gives you his strength in the midst of it. So I say to you now, 
Trust God in the midst of the darkness. Acknowledge the challenge. Craft the vision. Write out the decision. Reach the vision. And do the work. And with that, amen.